As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It's our rewatch party edition. Yes, we ripped this concept off. From the Ringers rewatchables, but we're not talking about Karate Kid or the Goonies or anything like that. We're talking about college football games that some of us covered, uh, that all of us watched. And right now, we're not talking about a playoff game. We're not talking about a national championship game. We are talking about a regular season game that I think is the most shocking result of the past decade. That when you combine all the circumstances together, There's no way this should have happened, but it did. And we are talking about the 2015 Michigan State at Ohio State game. We know how it ends. Michael Geiger, the kicker, doing the windmill. Maybe the greatest college football celebration ever. There have been a lot of them in that stadium. There sure have. (laughs) There sure have. I think Baker Mayfield is still the best one I ever saw in that stadium. I the windmill's better because it's so extemporaneous, and I like. I think Baker was trying to to plant the flag. So we've got Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis here. Both of them were covering that game. This is this is the one of the ones we're going to do this week that I did not attend. I watched this one on TV, and my jaw's just on the floor the entire time. And it was because you were Mister Big Time National guy who was like, "I'm not going to this one. I'm going to the Michigan game once this one's over with." Right? Yeah, I think I t- I <laughs> took that week off the road. Because that was, I was at SI, I was still on the road almost every week for a game. And I remember thinking, okay, this is a good week for me to be at home and get ready for Thanksgiving because I'm going to have to be somewhere next week. And I think I ended up having to change where I was going to be because suddenly I needed to go to the Ohio State-Michigan game. And so I wound up going to the Ohio State-Michigan game the following week. But yeah, this was, this was just a crazy thing. Starts with the weather and then you find out about Connor Cook, the quarterback from Michigan State that he took a, a big hit against Maryland the previous week, and he's, he's got a bum shoulder, and he tried to practice, but he couldn't get any zip on the ball. So they, they kind of took it right up to the beginning of the game, but then realized, okay, he, he's not playing. So Tyler O'Connor and Damian, Damian Terry will split quarterback duties against this Ohio State team that, from a personnel standpoint, is the most talented team in the country. And this is this is when Clemson has Deshaun Watson and all those guys that are going to play in the NFL. 
This is Alabama has a loaded team in 2015 uh, that includes Jonathan Allen and Dalvin Tomlinson and and a young Deron Payne and all, all these really great players. But this Ohio State team is packed to the gills with talent. So, uh, guys, just give us a, a sense of who's on this team. Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, um, Von Bell, Darren Lee, Eli Apple, Garyon Conley, uh, Taylor Decker was a first round pick. On yeah, the I was going to say, line. these are all first rounders. Yeah. You haven't mentioned a non first rounder yet. <laughs> uh, Billy Price was a first round pick on the offensive line. Um, was Elfline a, a first round pick? Or did he, Elf, he Elfline was a third round pick. There are a lot okay. of guys who are like second and third round picks. Well, Sa- that, Sam Hubbard is a very productive NFL player. Yep. Had a huge play he in that the game. Cross, there there were immediate, immediately after that season, they had 14 guys drafted all in the first four rounds. Wow. You or know, no, it's so sorry, funny. 12, it's like 12 if, guys drafted, 12 guys drafted. If you start like going back down the reserves of that team, too. Oh, it's like it, Joe it, Burrow was on that team, wasn't he? Joe Burrow was a freshman on that team. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. What kind of Malik talent? Malik was on that team. Malik Paris Cooker Campbell was, like was on that team. team. You're right. Oh, my God. Paris Campbell was on the team. Yeah. Terry Ray McLaurin. Was Denzel was Ward was on that team. That's another freshman or another yep. first round pick. Yeah, ter- Terry McLaurin's like a, a special teams contributor on that team, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, golly. So this is this is a loaded team, but but it is not played to this point anything like its predecessor, which won the national title. They you had the is it going to be Cardell Jones or JT Barrett? They kind of had to figure that out. The offensive play calling Tom Herman is is now gone, and he's the the head coach at Houston. It feels like the the play calling is somewhat disjointed. For whatever reason, they can't seem to get everything together with this team. But things sort of settled, right, when they they, they decided JT's going to be the guy. But then you get to this game. And Michigan State, at this point, has been the thorn in Ohio State's side in a lot of seasons. Like 2013, Ohio State is sure, you know, because remember, Ohio State was undefeated in 2012, could not play for the Big Ten title. 2013, Michigan State winds up playing them in the Legends versus Leaders Big Ten Championship game and beating him. That's the Urban Meyer eating the pizza on the golf cart game. Uh, Michigan State had kind of held up the banner along with Wisconsin for the Big Ten while Ohio State was going through stuff, while Penn State was going through stuff, and while Michigan was stinking. So uh, it, it was it was very interesting. But I think, I don't know how you guys feel, but you, you've seen a lot of Mark D'Antonio coach teams I thought this was his best coaching job to do what he what they did in this game. Yeah, especially like rewatching it. Um, it the defensive side, they had some good players, but like the the offense, you're just like, who are these people? Like maybe outside of like LJ Scott, like they didn't they had nothing going really on that side of the ball. And then Connor Cook doesn't play. It's yeah, the, worse. Be, the best player is Jack Conklin, who's the the left tackle, who's a starting right. tackle in the NFL now. But that the thing is. You've got Joey Bosa and Sam Hubbard on the other side. So Jack Conklin is playing against a a quality NFL player no matter what. I mean, yeah, Tyquan Lewis was also there who won Big Ten Defensive Lineman of the Year the following season. Wow. Yeah. I mean, let's let's call it what it is. I think that was the best version of Michigan State. Yes. Is that fair? And I think that was the biggest blunder of Urban Meyer's coaching career. I would agree with that. All on and, the same and, on the same field on yes, the same night. And, and and we're going to get to a lot of the complaints and and how that how that came to pass 
But let's let's just get started. Malik with, Hooker was on that team too, right? We forgot yeah. about that as another yeah. first round. Yeah, Michael yeah. Thomas also. He didn't say his name. <laughs> yes, yes, he plays in this game. He, he catches Gibson a too. pass. Yeah, uh, Torrance Gibson. That's a deep, deep, deep recruiting five star pull if, from South if, Florida. If there are Ohio State fans who have the the brave energy to listen to this, then I'm gonna like try to soften it up with a little like inside Ohio State comedic value. Oh, I think because this is gonna be hard fan, to listen to for that. I think Ohio State fans have enjoyed enough success over the years that they can handle this. This is like when we did the the second and 26 podcast which you, you'll also hear this week and we, we Seth Emerson our Georgia beat writer had this argument about can Georgia fans actually listen to this and and they can now because they've closed the circle by beating Alabama for the national title I think Ohio State fans have had enough success over the past few years that they can live with with reliving I, a, a down moment for think the program. as I sit here in my Michigan State green because tuck coming baby <laughs> <laughs> I said it for everybody. You it can't be you, Andy. Let them do it. It can't be you. No, I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna egg them on. I have so. this this theory, and I think Landis might back me up on this. But if and I always like me and him argue about this on the Ohio State shows all the time. Of like, if you did a random poll, if you did a random poll of like one game in Ohio State history that fans who have been alive for a long time could reverse the result to, I think it would be that one. This, this is it makes yeah, no absolutely. sense what happened and we'll get well there there will be a point that we will get to in this game where Ohio State should be done it should be it, Ohio State should win the game it should be over just run out the clock and be done with it and they can't do it and you'll see it, it just they just can't do it but, but I also think too that if Ohio State were to have win this game or would have won this game there's a high likelihood that they would have won the national championship, and I sometimes wonder if this is the turning point that Ohio State's hopes of becoming a dynasty went down the window, out the window. I think you may be right because they 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 would have shown up to play against that Alabama team or that Clemson team, and they could have played with either one of them. They could have beaten either one of those teams. That that 2015 Alabama team was the one that was kind of carried down the stretch by Derrick Henry. There were really good players on that team, but it was a Jake Coker quarterback team. It was not like the you know a Tua team or the Mac Jones team, and they could have played with that. That Clemson team was really good. They had Deshaun Watson. Uh, the defense was not like Christian Wilkins was a freshman on that team. They they still had a little ways to go personnel wise before they became you know, the super team in 2018 that that went undefeated. And, and you have to put yourself back into the mindset of like where we were at that time, like as beat writers for the team, uh, Landis and I, like we spent an inordinate amount of time uh, in the year before 2014, 2014, and then 2015 comparing um, Ohio State's current positioning under Urban Meyer at that time to Alabama and chasing Alabama and becoming Alabama. So when they, they're a year early in 14 and they end up beating Alabama and route to the national championship and then they bring the whole team back basically mm-hmm. and they go undefeated even though they had their heads up their ass the entire season. You know, you thought, well, now that it's November, they're playing Michigan and Michigan State, uh, you know, they're going to win those games and go to the playoff and then they're going to show up like they did a year ago. It seemed to me that that would have been the year where they won two in a row and would have kind of taken the mantle as the best program in college football away from Saban. So the fact that they lost this game, I, I think not only is like a, a gives a lot of Ohio State fans heartburn thinking back to it in terms of like what was lost on the field that day. I also sometimes wonder if this game, it, the way it went, changed the entire trajectory of the program. Um, not that they weren't good or they didn't accomplish anything or didn't make the playoff. 
But if you think about Ohio State's like lack of playoff appearances um, in the late 2000s, this didn't cause them to lose to to Iowa in 2017. It didn't cause them to lose to Purdue in 2018. I just sometimes wonder if the entire vibe of the program would have been like the manifestation of like what they were being, or this was a signal that that there will be a an Achilles heel. Sure, you know, I mean, you can't rewrite it. I just, I just right, remember thinking, like, after the fifteen season, I'm like, that was not the way this was supposed to go. Because the the three game, th- this game and the two I just mentioned are all those kind of like what results? Like, yeah, how did that happen? And you know, and some of the what results in those seasons, those teams just weren't that good either. You know, right? But this this team was so talented that this. It makes it hard to process even now, like rewatching the game. It, I'm looking at the players on the field and going, I know what's going to happen. I still can't be- believe it's happening. I don't know what the stats are, Landis. You said the stats. You're the stats guy. But if Ohio State would have won the national championship in 2015, I think that that team would have been held in the same regard as the 2001 Miami team for for how much talent they had on the roster at that given time. I Yeah, that, that one, 2019 LSU... 2011 Alabama, the, those types of teams in terms of sheer talent. No, I think yeah. you, I think you're right about that. Because it ended up being they had they had 12 guys drafted right after that year. Then the following year, I think they had seven. Um, so you're talking like 20 ish guys, all of whom were or most of whom I think the only one who wasn't a key contributor already in 2015 was Malik Hooker because he was like a one year wonder in 2016. And like, I don't even know if it counts, but like Joe Burrow became the number one overall pick in the draft like three years later after that. Yeah. Too. So like. Yeah, like if you actually just like look at the roster from top to bottom, the amount of talent that wasn't just, you know, players that would have never even sniffed the field at that time that amounted to to what they, they amounted really to players. It's yeah. just it's insane. Yeah. The, yeah. One, the one thing like I, I think all these feelings are right, especially when you just sort of watch this game in a vacuum and see all the names out there like Ohio State almost lost to Northern Illinois and Indiana in this season. They right. were they were a Xander Diamant touchdown throw mm-hmm. away from losing at Indiana. Sander Diamant, by the way, is a male model who played quarterback for Indiana. Um, so, like, they were, they were I, I, dysfunctional. I smell a very deeply reported feature coming from you, Bill Landis. He's a very or handsome maybe, man. Maybe I, Brody Miller's going to do that one. Who do you think would have won the Ab Wars, him or Braxton Miller? Braxton. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Braxton Miller was on this team. This is Braxton Miller's senior day. Can we uh, sh- show some re- – Braxton Miller uh, sacrificed his entire body – for Ohio State football, because some guys got some tattoos. Like, well, Braxton Miller also uh, was one. He was very good at taking pictures while inexplicably soaking wet with a shirt off. So, I like mean, that, that guy has a lot of different. He's a very you, handsome if you look man. Like that, if I look like that, I would do that too. Yeah, I, well, you're already kind of starting to do it, man. I, 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 you were modeling your swimsuit on your Insta. I had to. I know what you were. You weren't modeling the the swimsuit. You were modeling had those to. sexy abs that you're, had you're to. popping out of your stomach. Ha- had to. And, and when and if I ever get to the point where I have that that sexy body, I'm going to be the most obnoxious selfie asshole. When I was skinny in 2016, remember this the summer of Wasserman Atlantis when I was like super hot? I do, like, yeah. <laughs> like I used to post selfies like, oh my God, like that was, uh, let me tell you something. Wife doesn't listen to the podcast. Great summer for me. We, we've got a, uh, we've got a clip later in the show. Where a very <laughs> handsome Ari Wasserman with with the the fade to end all fades. I think this to, was the, I was still fat in this. You know, like very, 
a those very memes that question. you look at and just say, remember those old pictures that you took back in the day when you thought you were fat when you were taking them and you were like, actually weren't fat at all? And then you look back at them as a fatter version of yourself and go, God, I wish I had that body again. I, I have had those moments, yes. yes. And, and now I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm out of that. <laughs> we'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We got to get back to the game and we'll start with Chris Fowler giving us a weather report because this looked like the most miserable game to be standing outside in maybe ever. The rain arrived sooner than the forecasters expected it. Temperature 48. It will drop. We could have some snow. That's the blue on the radar approaching Columbus. So the weather could become a wintry mix by the second half of this game. A serious challenge for both offenses and especially for Michigan State with an inexperienced quarterback. Again, we think Connor Cook will be unable to go today. And Connor Cook is not able to go. They, 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 have, they have sniffed it out. But it's going to be a combination of Tyler O'Connor and Damian Terry. And early on, that does not go well. Michigan State starts to move the ball a little bit, but then this happens. Boy, it is tough to execute this pro-style offense with all the verbiage for an inexperienced quarterback in this noise. Terry. Ohio State says they have it. Sam Hubbard came around the end, hit the quarterback. And Ohio State's defense makes a huge play. Adolphus Washington fell on the ball. So this is the first of two very uncharacteristic mistakes from this Michigan State team. Because this team did not make a lot of mistakes, did not commit a ton of turnovers. Uh, I believe they were leading the Big Ten in turnover differential at this time. Ohio State... To, to further your point about the head up their own butt for the entire season, Ari, was minus one in turnover differential going into this game. Like, they were not as dominant as they should have been well, at you, all. You had a collection of super talented players that were already first-round draft picks that just frankly didn't really care anymore. Yeah, that, yeah, that is that is the vibe of the entire season. But then you also had, like, losing Tom Herman and Ed Warner and Tim Beck had no idea what they were doing. Um, Cardell Jones did not play very well, got benched. JT Barrett did not play very well. Like, their passing game was anemic, and they threw a lot of interceptions, which also contributed to that uh, turnover so, margin. This, and they didn't know who the quarterback was till like, week nine, and then when it got there, they still didn't know who it was. <laughs> well, exactly. They, that was, and, and, and that was the year is, of the red zone quarterback, too, right, Bill? Yes, I have I have a timeline <laughs> of the quarterback drama, if you if you want one. Yes, I, please. I, I, wanted, I wanted to refresh my own memory. So they open at Virginia Tech. 
Cardell Jones is back if they're winning the national title. JT Barrett is still on the roster. And according to the players, they go into the huddle before the first snap against Virginia Tech, not knowing which of them is going to be the starting quarterback. And then Urban Meyer says, Cardell, you're the guy. So Cardell plays like most of that game. JT plays uh, garbage time, basically. They win fairly comfortably. The next week they play Hawaii. They win 38 to nothing, but the offense is terrible. And Urban Meyer pulls Cardell Jones in the second quarter. And then he puts Cardell back in in the third quarter. And then I think he puts JT in in the fourth quarter. The next week is when they almost lost to Northern Illinois. Cardell Jones throws two picks. JT goes into the second quarter and plays the rest of that game. And I think at that point we're like, okay, it's JT's going to start now. Nope. Cardell Jones started the next game <laughs> against Western Michigan. Uh, JT played mop-up time. The following week was when they almost lost to Indiana. JT does not play at all. It's all Cardell. The week after that, they play against Maryland. And JT is the red zone quarterback. And Urban Meyer talks all week about Chris Leak and Tim Tebow and how it worked so well for them in 2006. Like it's literally totally different dynamic, by the way. It's not even, it's not even comparable. Um, but JT is the red zone quarterback. And then the following week against Rutgers, JT finally starts. He doesn't, he plays fine. They win. It's Rutgers, whatever. So JT is the starter. You think you have stability there. And then JT Barrett gets cited for a DUI and is suspended for the next game against Minnesota. So Cardell Jones has to go back in and start again. Dude, I forgot about that. I know. They play Illinois after that. JT is back in the starting lineup, gets one game under his belt, kind of, and then it's the Michigan State game. And, and this this makes so much more sense now. Now, I mentioned that weather before, and, and so that is a problem. And even if you are pretty good at throwing the ball, it's a problem throwing in this rain because it is it, at times kind of coming down in sheets, and the wind is bad. It's blood swirling. So yeah. – JT Barrett, not the most polished thrower of the football. And, and for argument's sake, neither are the two guys playing for Michigan State at this point. So you, you've got both coaching staffs trying to figure out how to deal with this. I would argue that Michigan State's coaching staff found a much better way of dealing with it, which was milk the hell out of the clock, do what you do. You know, they they had a they they could run out of the I formation, they had a fullback, you know, they they would just they would run Holmes or LJ Scott, and they didn't get a ton of yards. Yards were at a premium, but they were okay with that. They were like, okay, well, that's 40 more seconds. We can take off the play clock. Ohio State was, was a little bit different. It was like they programmed two different games because after this strip sack where Hubbard sacks Terry, Adolphus Washington falls on the ball, and Ohio State recovers, it was all Zeke. Like Zeke, 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 Zeke. And you'll hear a quote from Zeke later in the show about gap scheme runs. So let's let's have a little football 101. Gap scheme versus zone schemes. That gap scheme means your offensive linemen are doing usually what's called a pin and pull. So you'll have some linemen that are they are down blocking. They are they're taking an angle and it's a very easy block on a defender who's really not looking for you to be coming from that direction. And what, what's going to happen is you're pushing them. Let's say you're pushing them to the right. You're going to have somebody coming from the right, pulling around and then just smashing some dude on the end on the left. That's what opens the hole. So they're doing a lot of that on this drive. Now zone scheme is you have an area. You're going to block this area. You might team up with somebody else to block it. But ultimately, you're responsible for this. So you kind of count out from the middle linebacker. And that allows you to do some different things. That allows the quarterback to read the defense. The holes sort of open up. The quarterback or the back or whoever has the ball kind of finds where the hole opens up. It's not necessarily you're going between these two players. It's 
you'll see the whole go go into it. And so they're doing a lot of gap scheme at this point. And and here is a here's what that sounded like. Porter. That is that you know even though they're attacking downhill, that is great blocking by the left guard Billy Price. Right guard Pat Elfine comes up, picks up the linebacker right there, puts Riley Bola right on his back. A heck of a block by the right guard Elfine out of Pickerington. I just think Kirk Herbstreit wanted to say Pickerington there. He dropped I a think. lot of Ohio towns during this game oh, because like well, Michigan State's like entire team is from Ohio. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, but this was this was a run where you you'd had the right guard pulling and and kicking out, and it, it popped open a nice hole. And and Zeke just burst through, and you had a lot of that on this drive. And so let's let's move now to the eighth carry of the game for Zeke Elliott. This is on third and about a foot because they thought JT Barrett had scored. They looked at it on replays, and he was down. So it's third and maybe a foot and a half. So here is another Zeke Elliott carry. Elliott stacked up, didn't get there. Michigan State's front with support from Resky, the linebacker, after the reversal, it will now be fourth and goal. And you're right, Chris. Resky and Riley Bullard, it's the two linebackers, they're able to get involved. It's a nice job of the Michigan State defense line of getting low. Low man wins in these goal line situations. But to clean it up by Bullard and Resky was very, very key because, you know, Zeke Elliott is a second, third effort kind of back. And that the linebackers took that second, third effort away. This... This is one of the best tackles you'll ever see. This is Reschke putting his putting his shoulder pad. You know those abs that Zeke Elliott was always showing off? Putting his shoulder pad right there and driving him back at the goal line. It was it was impressive, especially when you consider Zeke Elliott's body of work, because usually he just runs right through that. And the Michigan State's defense. Uh, you, you guys mentioned it. These this is not a ton of future NFL guys. Now some of these guys have uh, wound up in the NFL. Uh, Shalit Calhoun was really good. Malik McDowell was really good. Uh, but a lot of these guys were just good college players mm-hmm. who did what they were coached to do. Yeah. And it was also too, like, I think that the way that they played defense, I, I think was, they didn't set out to design it to stop what Urban Meyer was doing, but it, I think it just kind of worked out that way. Um, mm-hmm. Especially, especially when Ohio State can't throw the ball because they were really aggressive bringing those safeties down. And like yep. Ohio State's bread and butter under Urban was always outnumbering the defense. But when the defense can do that, they're not outnumbered. And and when they're not outnumbered, they can hold you to whatever it was sixty rushing yards, whatever Ohio State. Had. Well, Narduzzi's gone by this point, but Narduzzi when when he was at Michigan State, and then obviously D'Antonio ha- had a huge hand in, in creating this. Their thing was we're going to find athletic corners and and be confident in them that they can cover man on the outside. And that frees up the safeties. And so if you're watching this, there's seven in the box to start most plays, but that eighth guy is coming. Yep. Like he's coming hard right at the snap. And so you're really running into an eight-man box almost every time. And it was it was impressive because they knew that Ohio State was scared to throw. And and Anybody would be scared to do a lot of things in this weather with with what what you had. So let's let's go to the next play. Well, the funny thing about Ohio State, though, before you go, is that they did this yep. every week. I know. I mean, like and, I was just like watching some of the YouTube clips and it's just kind of like if you go and I'm sure we'll get to the you know critical points later in the game, but it's just like the JT Barrett left right stuff. Oh, yeah. Was, it didn't matter that it was raining. That was a huge part of the offense that year. Absolutely. So. 
The next play, right back to Zeke. This is carry number nine for the game. They do. Elliott dive. Touchdown. After the fumble recovery, that drive was just about all Zeke Elliott. Fitting that he finishes it with the fourth down dive. So Zeke Elliott is going to touch the ball three more times in this game. He has carried it nine times. He's going to touch it three more times. There is 12 minutes and 45 seconds left in the second quarter. The final, I'm not good at math. We know this is a bad at math podcast. But the final 27 minutes and 15 seconds. Sorry, 37 minutes and 15 seconds. You're not doing a good job of of, of no. breaking the uh, terrible math the trend here. Yeah, yeah. I'm still I'm still wrong. By the way, <laughs> <I'm still> wrong. <laughs> the, the, the final 42 minutes and 15 seconds. There it is. Zeke Elliott is going to touch the ball three times. Three times. Unbelievable. It, it 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 blows my mind to this day, and. There's so many plays, and we'll get to a Landon, few. Landon, you remember after the game, though, there was this whole thing about like how he spent time in the hospital that week. He yes. was in the he hospital like a, Monday to Wednesday had a staph infection in his leg. Yeah, and I guess but, had like a big boil on his shin, and they had like a big bandage on it, and he wasn't even, like I wonder to this day how much of that was like actually the reason he didn't play or didn't carry the ball more. But they, but that doesn't make any sense. If that's no, not, the reason, you don't give him the ball nine times in the first eighteen right. minutes. Yeah, I, I just like I would like to. I just like. I'm trying it's seven years ago and I'm still trying to figure out what happened. There's a play yeah. uh, later in the game. And it, I think it was like a pretty inconsequential play. So you probably didn't clip it, Andy, but they, they ran what I think was like an RPO and they didn't mm-hmm. give the ball to Zeke. And then Zeke just like stopped, didn't block anybody, turned to the sideline, threw his hands in the air. I was like, can you please give me the damn ball? This is when he was in this yeah. span of not touching. I it do remember. I didn't minutes. clip it, but I remember watching it. And it was it was the last time they even kind of had anything that was a read where he was potentially an option. Yeah, because a lot of and and this is this is where the frustration comes in. And you'll see as we go later in the game, a lot of these plays, they empty the backfield. And so the defense doesn't have to worry about whether Zeke or JT is going to have it because they know JT is going to have it and they're not worried about him throwing. Yeah, they also ran um, a, a few times what is probably my least favorite play ever when you roll the quarterback out and cut the field in half. Yes. And like that was like Urban's like favorite passing play. And I think they probably did it four or five times in this game. I'm not sure they gained a yard doing it. Yeah, so. it, this was this was a game that exposed a lot of uh, for for all of the, the things Urban Meyer did that won championships and and won games exposed a lot of his bad habits as a coach. And, and one of those was when things are going wrong, put everything on the quarterback. And so I, like, I go back to the 2007 Florida-Kentucky game where he ran Tim Tebow into the ground. And that cost them the Georgia game. That, maybe they still would have lost the Georgia game, but Tim Tebow having bruised ribs because he got run too much in the Kentucky game when they didn't need to run him that much to win yeah. was, was a big reason why they didn't. So... That's that's part of it. But another part of it is, again, you've got a team on the other side of the field that should have no chance. They've, they've lost their starting quarterback, and they are playing out of their freaking minds. So, again, an answer. And the biggest play of the game 
in terms of yardage gained was on this drive, and it's this one. So now a real challenge. Rain continuing to fall. Wind in the face of the Spartans who are down a touchdown on third and nine. Remember Joey Bosa, always a factor here. Ohio State loves to move him around. O'Connor this time has time, pushes the ball downfield, coming out of bounds, and then back in was Burbridge. We saw that on the other end. Was he forced out? They're going to call this a good catch. That inside the 30. So that that is Aaron Burbridge catching that ball. He gets pushed out of bounds by Eli Apple. But you don't really see that on the camera. What you see is Aaron Burbridge basically curling around the sideline, coming off the sideline, catching the ball. And I'm like, oh, that flag is clearly for illegal touching. And no, the flag was on Eli Apple because he just shoved him out of bounds in the middle of the route. And so they they declined the penalty. He had reestablished. That's a 36-yard gain. It is the longest play from scrimmage in this game. And it's just, it's wild to me in games like this, when both teams are struggling to move the ball, how when one scores, the other one's like, okay, we, we can do this now. Yeah, because Michigan State was pretty terrible in just about every other turn of the game. They were good, like right after Ohio State scored, and they were good at the end when LJ Scott was running the clock out, but... For as bad as Ohio State was on offense, you might be able to make the argument that Michigan State was worse. And not that you'd be surprised by but, that. Well, Michigan State averaged 4.4 yards of play in this game, which surprised me. Ohio State that's only averaged 2.9. Yeah, and I Michigan State fair. ran 67 plays. Like that part. So there was a, I'll tell you what it was. There was a lot of Holmes and LJ Scott and Tyler O'Connor actually was a big part of this too. Just getting first downs. Like, yep. Getting one more first down than you would have normally gotten on that drive, and you, and you ate more clock and and ran a few more plays. Yep. It was a it was a clinic in chewing clock. Yes, yes. <laughs> was, That's why I say it's, it's this is D'Antonio's Mona Lisa. Like you can you can take little giants, you can take Rocket. There, there's some great you know great games in his history, but this is this is his Mona Lisa. Ohio so, State had the ball for nine minutes in the second half. It was and it felt like less. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I don't it, it's hardly possible to make it feel like less, but it felt like less. So let's uh, let's let's hear what that play ultimately led to. Spartans have not been nearly as efficient in the red zone as Ohio State. And now with the young quarterback, can they produce seven and not three? Kings in motion. They fake it to him. O'Connor fires to the end zone. Catch made down near the pylon by Trevon Pendleton. Touchdown, Michigan State. The fifth-year senior fullback. They go to the fullback with a throw. It was a nifty little play. They they had a they had a couple different fakes, and the action was moving to the right. They throw back to the left of the fullback, and and then he hits the pylon. It was it was really nice. We'll be right back after these words. It's seven seven. It feels like Michigan State's dominating. And then Ohio State's punter, who was the maybe the best punter in the country all season, just shanks one. Like, just hits the worst shake you've ever seen and sets up Michigan State. But then they do this. Michael Geiger, their kicker, comes out, and, uh, and this happens. At the very least, it gives them a shot here at a field goal to maybe take the lead for Michael Geiger. A third-year kicker had a terrific freshman year. Struggled a bit, mid-season slump, but he's worked his way out. Hasn't missed a kick in the last four games. This from 43 into the breeze. Knuckles wide. 
Never really had a chance. Now, if he's going to miss one, it usually does hook to the left. Now, keep that last Chris Fowler statement in mind. <laughs> if he is going to miss one, it usually hooks to the left. Like a golfer, he has a direction that the ball tends to drift. This will be very, very important later. But right now, it's 7-7. It's halftime. Mark D'Antonio couldn't be happier. This feels like Michigan State is winning by three touchdowns, even though it's tied. I wish I could have been in that locker room, an Ohio State's locker room at, at this moment in the game. Because I cannot, I mean, Urban, Urban's got to be making the paint peel off the walls with, I'm assuming, yelling at Ed Warner and Tim Beck yes. the entire time. Yes. And, and we can get into this now because this is, this is something that will come up later. But a lot of, I felt like, you know, especially given what happened the following week when they made some changes and, and given hearing the, the, what the players said and then you heard some of the other players later as they went into the NFL – it felt like the mechanics of the play calling were very off all season. Yeah. And I remember like being, I don't remember kind of like being a mystery that year. Like who was actually calling the plays. It was this whole thing. There was like three, <laughs> three, like Ed Warner, Urban Meyer and Tim Beck, right? Was that the, was that yeah. the three headed monster there of like nobody exactly knew who was calling the plays. And I think it was like a weekly thing. of like, who's calling the plays. <laughs> and it was like this like game of musical chairs of just like what now is pretty clear was just a dysfunctional situation. But at the time it was just kind of like, why is this answer? Well, that's so vague and always changing. It was a tempo offense that didn't really run at a very high tempo because for whatever reason they couldn't get the play in or couldn't decide on the play. I don't know. I don't know what it was. If it was couldn't decide on the play or couldn't get the play in because of, of the mechanics of the way they had it arranged, but it just, it didn't work. And they get back on the field. Ohio state gets the ball and remember, I mentioned those plays where the backfield empties out and Michigan State knows it's JT Barrett and they know he isn't throwing. And here's what, ha- what happens when you do that on a third down. They need three on third down. Empty backfield again. Bunch formation to the right. You wouldn't bet against a, a quarterback keeper here. And the Spartans are ready for it. They slam Barrett down short of the first down and some boos come out. Yeah, I mean, you saw it, I saw it, and you know who more importantly saw it? Harlan Barnett, Mark D'Antonio, and the Michigan State defense. And Harlan, actually, Damon Knox that time got off. I mean, it was so bad that the home crowd is booing the play calling of the undefeated team. That happened quite a bit. I know, but <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, that... Uh, yeah, I, I feel but like you know what, like you know what he's going to do. Like we used to call it out in the press box, and I'm sure you did, Andy, too, when everyone was in Florida. Like, oh, it's third and short; they're going to run the quarterback. Everyone yeah. in the building, and knows we knew that. the direction too. It was yeah. just like running game in the press box of like who could call out the play before it happened. It, it it was it was it had to be maddening for them knowing that all these weapons are on the field, and and the part that bothers but I think me about that's this, the problem, Andy. I think that Ohio it, State tried to out talent everybody in every game, but it's not this this is a, this is a scheme problem here. This is no, not I a, know, but I think their yeah. scheme was lacking because they right. relied on their talent too much. But yeah. it's so frustrating. Like I'm watching the game again. I know what's going to happen, but I'm yelling at my computer screen as I'm watching it when I see. They motion. They had somebody in the backfield with them and motioned him out. And I was like, "Why are you doing that? Now they know who's going to have the ball." Like, 
it was just, just it was it was yeah dysfunctional. I mean, like, really, like, but we're gonna keep going through this game. But like, all this game was was just the personification of an entire year's worth of problems coming down into four right. Quarters. This is dis- dysfunction yes. coming home to roost. Right, but. It didn't have to. It still didn't have to be an Ohio State loss. It didn't. Want to know why? Because of what happened on the next play. Johnson has been tested a few times today, and that one is mishandled by Kings. Gets away, and the Buckeyes cover it at the five. Is that the mistake that can decide the game? That's when the game should have ended. Yeah. So McGarrett Kings tries to catch a wet ball that is is just a laser shot right at him. It didn't work. Ohio State gets the ball. The next play, well, what do you know? What happens when you throw a, a, a mid-range pass? Barrett, hot pass, touchdown, Marshall, a one-handed catch, and Ohio State takes the lead. You've actually taken advantage of your tendency to confuse the defense because he uses what, what Urban Meyer and Dan Mullen called the rocker step, which is what they developed with Alex Smith, and then they used it with with Tebow at Florida and, and then use it down the line with all their other players. But it is, it is basically a, a fake step toward the line of scrimmage by the quarterback that, that makes it look like a quarterback run. It sucks the linebackers in two steps. And in, in this case, Michigan state doesn't have a deep safety because they're, they're on the five yard line. So Marshall just pops open. Boom. There it is. There was none of this, the rest of the game. There was none of this over the middle medium range stuff at all. No, everything was like on the sidelines um, and short. They had like they have a, a deep pass later in the game, but you know, it was it was conservative. Thrown JT ball by seven yards. Uh, that uh, was, was a, a, game on the line. a should be interception. Yeah, yeah he threw off his been, back foot that, that nice hit the cornerback yeah. in the hands. Yeah, yeah, that one. I'm worth a look. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jalen Marshall touched the ball two times. Michael Thomas had two catches. Curtis Samuel had one. Braxton had one that I think was actually a jet sweep. Like that was, was a, yeah, that was a little you know just touch pass. Right yeah, there. that was. I mean, that was their passing game <laughs> that, that year. They count as passing stats. And at the beginning of the show, when you were like naming off all the players that are on this team, did you mention McLaurin too? Uh, I did. Yeah, uh, okay. He, he makes right, a special teams like, play in this game. Yeah, isn't he the guy that recovers the fumble? Yeah, yes, he recovers yeah. that fumble. But it is it it is wild to me that that they don't win the game there because. That should be it right there. But like we said, for whatever reason in games like this, when somebody scores, the other team's like, okay, now we can play offense. And Michigan State scores. They they march down the field and and Holmes. Holmes the tailback. Pendleton in the backfield. It's Holmes. Met quickly, but spins and reaches for a touchdown. So now we've got a tie game again. I still think if this game goes to overtime, obviously Ohio State has the advantage. The, I remember the, the, sitting in the press box, though, thinking that was the first time I could consider they, they could lose the game yes. on that drive. Oh, yeah. Because it was the second effective drive by Michigan State, and Ohio State had one of those. And the second, and most, the second effective drive that happened exactly right when they needed it to. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, there, you, you got some serious Team of Destiny vibes yes. from the way they... They, they made that happen. And, and this is where uh, O'Connor did a great job keeping some drives alive with, with his feet. And, you know, he, he never wound up being a great starting quarterback at, at Michigan State. You know, once Connor Cook was gone, they, they kind of fell into a, 
a no man's land at that position for a little while. And it's it's amazing because I I would have told you after watching him in this game that okay, he's gonna be the next good one there. And and the other thing about that drive that the finished with the Holmes TD, Damian Terry gets hurt on that drive. So it goes from being a two QB system where the defense has to worry about these two guys to it's O'Connor the rest of the way. Like that that's what you're getting. So but he actually felt like the more effective runner, even though Terry was supposed to be the better runner. Yeah, he was pretty gritty in this game. I remember I covered Tyler O'Connor in the um, the Big 33 game. It used to be an Ohio versus Pennsylvania All-Star game every year. And I was working in PA. He was a quarterback for the Ohio team that one year I covered it. And he was like kind of similar in that game. He was just, that was an All-Star game. Like no one cared who won or lost, but he was like lowering his shoulder and making sure Ohio won that game. And I was like, oh. Maybe this kid's got a little something to him. Then I totally forgot about him. And then three years later, he was beating Ohio State and Ohio State. Do we know what he's doing now? Medical device salesman or insurance salesman? Hold on. Let's find out. I'm just guessing. Uh, owns an insurance agency in... in uh, Are you serious? No, no, I'm kidding. I'm just... That's my, <laughs> that's my guess. Yeah. I mean, if I were a former uh, football player at a big-time program where my name was recognizable, that's absolutely what I would do. Another Ohio, yeah, he's from Lima, Ohio. Maybe he's back up there. I, I well, we, we're going to have to find out. So, yeah, well, I mean, we guess we can do that at the end. We we can we, if somebody knows. Uh, a buyer for a business firm in Chicago was the offer he had coming out of college, according to the Detroit Free Press. So, uh, I, I was wrong. So that's good. He's not a medical device salesman. The, the medical device game is, is a very good game for the ex-players. I, I know quite a few guys who do that down here in the Sunshine State, and, uh, and they, they enjoy it. But, yeah, he was, he was one of the most important parts of what Michigan State did in this game because he, just, he kept several drives alive that should have had no business being alive. But let's, let's figure out how this all comes to the, the ultimate conclusion and basically the teams are trading punts. Ohio State is backed up against its own end zone, and this happens. And Buckeye fans will hold their breath. It's Cameron Johnson, excellent punter, has already had a crazy low punt earlier in the game. It's Shelton at midfield. And that kick just knocked down by the wind. Actually, the ball was touched there by Malik a uh, big defensive tackle there, M- Malik McDowell. McDowell. Wow. Got a hand on that ball. They've been pressuring Johnston all afternoon. Yeah, he finally got to it. because he- So Malik McDowell tips that ball. It just sort of dies ahead of the 50-yard line, and Michigan State's in business. They've got to gain maybe 15 yards to get into Geiger's range, and they do that mostly with L.J. Scott. And... Here's the third down conversion that that really allowed them some flexibility. Again, remember that statement from Chris Fowler when when Michael Geiger missed the kick. Uh, this third down conversion allows them some flexibility. Final minute. Scott again. Spins. Leaves. First down, Michigan State. And now the Spartans with all three timeouts will begin to conserve time. So they've got timeouts. They've got time. And all they're doing right now is trying to get on the right hash, get it, get a couple more yards and get on the right hash. We didn't even for, spend a second talking about how the worst possible offensive series call uh, 
on Ohio State's previous possession, like if you go watch the three plays that they they ran, were they inside oh, their ten? Horrendous. It was like the worst play calling I've ever seen at any level. I, I've I never felt seen like any. We'd harped on the play calling enough. No, but I, you're I'm just right, saying, like terrible. if you go back and you look at it, like it's just like I think there was third and nine from their own six yard line or something, and they ran a jet sweep. That well, was the uh, that yeah. that was the one to to Braxton to Braxton, and, and then the first, it was the play after JT Barrett threw a ball down the sideline off his back foot that was seven yards under thrown. Yeah, the first, there's the, four minutes left. At the very least, you need to get three first downs to get out of the play, to let this team drive down and kick a field goal. Yeah, I'm watching time, this again. Like, uh, what am I doing here? The first time they decided to try to throw the ball down the field was when JT Barrett was in his own end zone with four minutes left in the tie game. Yeah. Well, and and the thing is, like, again, this would be the place. For your very good first round back to to touch the ball. Because they think you're desperate. They think you're going to try to throw the ball down the field. So maybe you give it to him and see if he can make something happen. But no, that's not what they did. So Michigan State has the ball. They maneuver it to the right hash. Who do we want, guys? Do we want Chris Fowler calling this or do we want the uh, the local Michigan State call? Local. local Michigan State. Local. I figured you might say that. So yeah. uh, this from from our friends at the Michigan State Radio Network and, uh, and the Big Ten Network here. Three seconds left. All the Spartans dreams in front of them right now. And the kick is... He hits it! He hits it! He did it! It's good! Down go the Buckeyes! And the Spartans win without Connor Cook. The windmill celebration, which he said was not planned by any stretch of the imagination, but is one of the greatest college football celebrations of all time. The hand out in front, the windmill sprinting down the field. I was telling Bill Landis before the show, I feel like if if I ever win an argument with my wife, which hasn't happened yet in, in almost 21 yeah, years. Yeah, let me know marriage, how that goes. But, but <laughs> if it ever happens, I might do the windmill celebration. <laughs> I, I want uh well i'll say I'll, I'll say i'll say what i want to say when we get to the end when we talk about post game zeke and, and ari okay we, we will get to that because we gotta we gotta do post game geiger because geiger's tremendous in this post game he a couple he did quite a few interviews they were all good we'll start with his big 10 network interview and I don't know what order these were done in. I think this was the first one because I'm guessing the second one was the one where, where a sports information person might have grabbed him and been like, eh, I don't know. So here, here's your first one. This is with the Big Ten Network. You're holding the football. Take me through your mindset. You're lining up for the game-winning kick. What's going through your mind? Just trust your eyes. Trust your leg. I knew I had the distance because I made it once. I just had to swing through, hit an even better ball. It was great. Amazing feeling. I've been waiting my whole life to beat that team in this stadium. My whole nope. life. I've been waiting my whole life to beat that team in this stadium, which I would imagine among players from Ohio who've gone elsewhere is a fairly universal feeling mm -hmm. to go back and win an Ohio stadium. How satisfying must that have been to do that in that way? incredibly i would think I, I also wonder too like michael geiger's from toledo and there's like weird like ohio michigan michigan right, stuff up, it's right up, up on it. the border yeah i wonder if he grew there up like a, a michigan war. fan yeah, yeah my, but my, like the the fact that uh i guess if connor cook would have played the quarterback still would have been from ohio but the quarterbacks from ohio the running back is from ohio and the kicker who beat you is from ohio um 
probably makes it a little more sweeter, I think, for Michigan State. Well, this is the interview he did with Keith Nickel from the Michigan State Radio Network. Keith Nickel, uh, sharp-eared fans will remember, is the former Michigan State player. He, he came as a quarterback. You know, started out as a quarterback in a quarterback room with uh, with Nick Foles and Kirk Cousins and wound up playing receiver. He's the one who caught the Hail Mary from Kirk Cousins in the regular season Wisconsin game to, to win that game in 2011. And so he's doing radio network stuff. So he he's very new at this. He's in his 20s, very young, and finds himself in a situation that I don't don't think he was expecting because uh, Geiger is uh, is on one after after making this kick. Welcome back to Columbus, and let's go to the hero of the ball game, Michael Geiger, standing by with Keith Nichols. Geiger, talk about that a little bit, man. As a kicker, he does get more about that. I had the one earlier. Next kickoff, and I fucking drilled it. <laughs> back to you guys. <laughs> he did drill it. He did. He did drill it. <laughs> I never heard that before. That's great. It's tremendous. I mean, come on. People just being people, you know, it's great. It's it's everything you want. That is the verbal verbal version of the windmill celebration. Meanwhile, in the other locker room, in the home locker room. Do you have well, audio of this? Room. Oh, do we ever have audio? I haven't, of this? I haven't listened to this in seven years. I'm very excited. So Zeke Elliott is is enumerating the reasons he's disappointed. And then a uh, a young plucky reporter from a uh, a content farm, he hasn't gotten his job at the athletic yet. Chimes in with the question of the day. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in uh, the play calling. I'm disappointed in the situations we were put in, and uh, I wish it all played out differently. See, is it disappointing to have only 11 carries and? What a lot of people are expecting might be a, a showcase for not only you, but this offense. Fact check, Ari. It was 12 carries. <sighs> Wrong again. But this is the question of the day because I, I personally want to thank you as someone who was doing daily radio shows that week. You gave me so much content. <laughs> I had so many people call. Zeke, you're going to hear Zeke's answer in a second. And... Zeke's answer to that question provided so much content for the next week. It was glorious. So many old people got so mad that this young man would dare question the the play calling acumen of Urban Meyer when essentially Urban Meyer would admit the following week that Zeke was entirely right and they should have been doing what he said all along. But here is Zeke's answer to Ari's tremendous question. I'm sweating again. It's very disappointing. I mean, in the in the one drive that we had where we kind of had some momentum when we scored after the strip stack, um, the plays we ran, we ran a lot of gap schemes, and we were gashing them. And you guys saw that on that drive, and we had a lot of momentum. And uh, honestly, we didn't, we didn't see those plays at all for the rest of the game. Those plays weren't called anymore. I asked for those plays to be called, and they weren't. And... Uh, it just it hurts. It hurts a lot just just because uh, of how we lost. I feel like we just weren't putting the the right opportunity to win this game. We weren't putting the right situations to win this game, and and like I don't think Michigan State was better than us. We, they weren't, but 
we didn't execute. He gets asked some more questions after this. He goes on to say he that was definitely his last game at Ohio Stadium. He's not coming back. It was it was a burn the bridges interview. And by the way, there was another game the next week. Yeah, I actually didn't hear any of the rest of that. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what that was my question. I want to. I want to know who do we think ran faster, Michael Geiger doing the windmill or Ari out of the interview room to back up to the press box to write a story. So you have to remember where we were working at that time. And for anybody, I don't think we even said it on the podcast, but Landis and I were beat partners uh, with Doug Lamborghese at Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer at that time. And our our goals and our main job was to get as many people to read our stories as possible highly um, click-based yes highly click-based good work but highly click-based in the sense that we wanted people obviously to read our content you wanted and, things and to, to drive, go viral though it, yes it was, yes yeah. yes um so when he said that i didn't speak to landis i didn't talk to doug i just used my own journalistic uh you know thought process and i took my recorder off of the off of the and that was at the time where we were filming remember bill when we had to mm-hmm. film every interview cut the cut the camera off and sprinted and, and if you don't know what it is to cover an ohio state home game but the press box is clear on the other side of the stadium uh and there was an elevator to get up to the team room on the other side of the stadium in order to do this i took my recorder and i ran down the stairwell i didn't wait for the elevator and i sprinted from the press box because I knew every single reporter was still going to be in there, ran to my computer and wrote a story with those quotes as fast as humanly possible, processed the video. And I think that that story had at least a hundred thousand views in like the first 24 hours. It was up. Like it was like the story of the 24 hours after it was the story of the whole week. Like it, it made its own gravy until the Michigan game kicked off essentially. Like, because, well, we, you got to remember too, like we had been covering Zeke since he was in high school yeah. and like, I, I had no, he had never, and I don't know, you correct me if I'm wrong here, Bill, but like he never really went down roads like that before. It was very no. characteristic of him to, to behave or to comment on things, even if he didn't, if he felt that way. So for him to, it was just an illustration of how bad it hurt him that they lost that game, you know? And I know that, you know, the old school person, would be like, how dare, like you said, somebody stand up there and question the the head coach of the team, be a team player, lose with dignity. But it's just like, I think that that was a reaction of somebody who was in disbelief and shock. Not only did he didn't touch the ball more, but that Ohio State was able to lose that game. And like, I remember, Andy, like a week ago that you and I were like arguing with some random Michigan State fan on Twitter that was convinced that Michigan State was a better that's football not a, team. That's no random fan. That's Mitch. He comes at me all the time. Okay. I don't know I anything about Mitch. the person, but he... he was convinced that Michigan State was a better football team. And I think even the yeah, most no. devout Michigan State fan would admit that they they got one there. You know what I right. mean? It was like it right. still and, was and like a- Ohio State would have scored against Alabama in the playoff. And Michigan State didn't. But it doesn't matter. The way this the system was set up, Michigan State won that game fair and square, deserved the Big Ten title, mm-hmm. deserved the spot in the playoff. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. It's just I, it's hard to look at the rosters and go how uh, without going how did that happen? Well, one of the things that was well, I, I think it just happened because like Ohio State had an issue. I think with sort of motivation all year, um, they were certainly out coaching that game. Because one of the things that stood out to me as I was watching it was like 
we talked going back to what we said when we talked about Michigan State always kind of making sure it outnumbered Ohio State in the box because they weren't afraid of Ohio State throwing the ball. Like Michigan State was no threat to throw the ball, but Ohio State never adjusted to that. They like kept giving them light boxes, and then at the end of the game, LJ Scott just ran right like, fifteen times and ran the clock out on them essentially. And again, Ohio State had better players to do it with. Yeah, all they would have had to do is drop a safety down, and I don't think anything particularly bad would have happened to them. Probably some good things. Let's go fast forward a week to the Michigan game because, again, the way that game was called and the adjustments they made, remember they they made some adjustments and they kicked somebody to the press box or brought somebody down from the press box. They put Uh, Ed Warner in the press box. They put Ed Warner in the press box. Which the, is the equivalent of you sending your son to your room. Be, because they couldn't fire him to the moon. They put him in the press box. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like the closer to the sky. Yeah. So the offense against Michigan ran seamlessly. It was beautiful to watch the plays go in, the plays be executed as called. Ezekiel Elliott carried 30 times for 214 <laughs> yards and two touchdowns. He averaged 7.1 yards a carry. I think Zeke might have been right, guys. Yeah, I also think that Michigan State was much better than Michigan that year. That's true. No yeah. no question about that. But look, this is a Michigan team. It was it was Harbaugh's first year. They had Jabril Peppers. They had some okay players, but they had no chance. Like once that happened, once Michigan State beat Ohio State, Michigan had no shot of winning that game. And they then Ohio State went on to win the, the Fiesta Bowl that year, 44-28. to 28. And I think Joey yep. Bosa got thrown out of the game in the second quarter for targeting. Yeah. Right, Bill? That was the one where Jalen Smith got Jaylen hurt, Jalen Smith too. got hurt. And, like, yeah. our buddy Brian Winhorst uh, is a, an Ohio State guy. And he went to that game, and he said that it was the worst game he's ever been to because he was upset that he was watching what that team was capable of the following two weeks. And, like, you were waiting for that light to turn on all year. Yep. And it took losing to Michigan State for that light to turn on. It was just a reminder of like what that team was probably capable of yep. if it was just even remotely functional. Yep. And if it gets if it gets one more stop and that game goes to overtime against Michigan State, there's a real good chance Ohio State. We well, had a great red zone quarterback too, so it would have been pretty. Right. <laughs> it would have been sad. Ah, there you go. <laughs> but there's a real good chance Ohio State maybe does get that figured out. The scare does cause them to make the changes they made, and they are that team except the Big Ten champs and in the playoff. Yeah. And, but, and you know what, though? Like, it's just like Bill made this point earlier in the, in the show, and it's completely right. And I, you know, I said that if Ohio State would have beaten Michigan State, it might have changed. They might have won the national title, or they might have changed the paradigm of, of, the, of the way that we view them. But this isn't the first time that they were scared. They had plenty of times to get this thing ironed out all right. year. I mean, their entire season was one... Uh, Crap game sa- after it sounds another. like they didn't make any real changes until they basically had a mutiny. And I and I also think yeah. too that that was like a major. And I, Bill, jump in here at any point. But when I look back at the Urban Meyer era, I feel like most of the major changes, if not all of them, it always took a loss for that to happen. Well, they totally revamped their defense after they lost to Michigan State in 2013, and they brought in Chris Ash and won a national title. Um, well, they were slow with this though, because even the next year. Ed Warner and Tim Beck were still around. Um, they brought in a new offensive line coach, but those two guys were still the coordinators. Like Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson did not, didn't come until 2017. So they still tried to figure this out with those two coordinators mm-hmm. and JT in 2016. And guess what? Still wasn't very good. They got shut out in the playoff. A team that probably shouldn't have even made the playoff to begin with. 
Yeah. Yeah. They had a they had a very good regular season resume, but the fact of the matter is, if Penn State doesn't lose to Pitt early in that season, Penn State's in the playoff. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's a it's a very strange dynamic, and and but I do think it it makes Iowa in seventeen and Purdue in eighteen less surprising, I think. Because you know there's that capability of, of, of them laying an egg. Well, the thing about those games that was surprising to me wasn't that they lost, because upsets happen, and it's college football, and it was that they got their ass kicked. Like, that but was the, the thing th- is, like, in both if games. This isn't, if this isn't super team against Michigan State, they would have gotten their asses kicked, too. Yeah, I, I just, like, I've never, I don't even know if you could go back and really look uh, in the history of college football, not just Ohio State, and find a team that has such a talent advantage that has been beaten as badly as they were in those two games like is are there any alabama losses or clemson losses or georgia losses that that resembles anything like those to me like might have been the two most inexplicable losses in the history of ohio state football and some of the most inexplicable losses in college football history the the only alabama loss that even comes close is 2017 auburn where it felt like auburn controlled the whole game but you go back and look at that still wasn't that Far apart. They got their ass kicked by Iowa because they couldn't figure out a way to cover the tight end. That's right. Yeah, and they're very good tight ends. Good <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but and then and then the the Purdue game couldn't cover Rondell Moore. Couldn't do Rondell Moore was throwing people off of him like he was Mike <laughs> Allstott in that game. <laughs> it was uh, wow. That's a quite a Purdue reference right there. You 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 went with the Purdue guy. So that was an accident. I didn't know Mike Allstott went to <laughs> Purdue. <laughs> Oh, you didn't know Bubba Smith went to Michigan State either. So that is, I wish I wouldn't have admitted it. That was the perfect way of, uh, yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> the high, high Tower from Police Academy. Did you know that, Bill? I did not know he went to Michigan State. I knew he played college football. No, no talking he about, like, he was one of the best players in the country at the time. No, you know, Mike Allstott went to Purdue. Yeah. I did not yeah, know Mike Allstott went to Purdue. Yeah. Mike Allstott and like 27 astronauts it. went to Purdue. Actually, yeah. Mike Allstott going to Purdue is the most Big Ten thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah. I, I, exactly. Where did now, Peyton Hillis go, Iowa? Uh, Peyton Hillis went to Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I knew Peyton that. Hillis was the third best back on a team with Darren McFadden and Felix Jones. That's <laughs> and all he's on the know cover of Madden, so who's laughing now? Houston nut, baby. So this is this has been a blast, guys. This is this is everything I hoped when I ripped this idea off from the ringer. And so I'm not, as we're recording these, I'm not entirely sure what order everything's going to run in. We've got this game. We've got the second and 26 game between Alabama and Georgia. And then Stuart Mandel and I are going to break down the Texas USC Rose Bowl national title game. Nice. This is just, you might want to run this quickly though. Now that I'm in the Michigan state atmosphere. I, why do you think I picked this game? It's, um, that, that conversation that we started a couple weeks ago on the show about Michigan State and the way they're recruiting and everything, it was actually our guy Mitch, the, the, the guy who was harassing you on Twitter, who brought this game up to me. And I thought, because I was going to do something different. And, and I thought, no, I want to do that game because I want to watch it again. Like I, it's one of those you want to watch again to see if it still happens because Actually, how I don't think I'm ever going to watch happened? that game ever again because it was very boring when you really break it down. But it wasn't. It was there was so much. What's that German word that I I can never pronounce? It starts with an Schadenfreude. S. Schadenfreude. Yeah, that that word. Uh, I can pronounce it. I can't spell it. There was a lot of that for I would imagine the non Ohio State Big Ten people. 
It's so funny to me, though, because you watch the hour drive-in movie on YouTube, and it's like, you could watch that game in 38 seconds. <laughs> it, it As a condensed hour, because the other games that we're doing in this series this week, basically the full version is available on YouTube. This is the only one where the full version is not. The one-hour version, and it's actually about one hour, 16 minutes, but it feels like they didn't leave anything out. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like I missed much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, I think you're caught up. But it would so, be fun to do this about in a game where every drive something exciting happens. Well, we're going to. There, there will be those because I've enjoyed recording these so much that like there's going to be a Boise State, Oklahoma one. Uh, we're going to do you name the there's got to be a kick six one. You name the crazy game. We'll we'll find a way to do it because I, I just think that there's so much there. And, you know, we we talk about these games all the time and it feels like you remember every moment and then you go back and you're like i didn't i've completely forgot about that can i uh can i suggest a game for the series absolutely in in 2018 tate martell went 10 for 10 against Rutgers. <laughs> <laughs> oh speaking of guys named tate in the big 10 tate for seer against notre dame do we dare he he was really fun to watch. I know. That whole thing was fascinating. Like, I want I want a two-hour documentary on Tate Force here because he was the original internet well, quarterback. We could we could do a part two of this podcast where you just break down like the blossoming flower that is Bill and my friendship that year. Well, oh yeah. That, that, was, like, that was like year two. That was when think we about, finally, like, yeah. think about all the trips to, to chain restaurants and <laughs> you know how many times he <laughs> Was that all before? the garden breadsticks that were eaten? So, so the thing that you need to know about uh, my friendship with Bill is that when I met Bill, he was in a very serious relationship with the woman who's now his wife. Mm-hmm. But when Bill first took the job in Columbus, he was long distance with this oh. wonderful young lady. So you became the new. Uh, so and I like another. just was in Ohio. Like I, all my friends were in Arizona and New York and L.A. because I, I wasn't from there. Well, and I was like, you're bi-coastal, baby. Yeah, I was bi-coastal. <laughs> totally. Uh, and but like I didn't really have any friends there. So like Bill and I, the amount of times where he would just come over and we would order Domino's and like watch football. <laughs> it was just like and I, honestly, I knew Domino's <laughs> was showing up sometime. Yeah. Like he would come over to my house, and we just sit there and watch games, like college football games, like during bye weeks and NFL games. And I don't think I've ever felt closer to any human being in my entire life, including my now wife. <laughs> <laughs> this is touching, really. I mean, yeah, this is, no, I mean, we we had a beautiful. lot of, and like it was like during the times too, where it's just like where our he- careers headed, and talking about work and talking shit about everybody else on the beat, and you know all the yeah. stuff that you know. You know, people do, but um, it's just it feels like it was another lifetime ago now. Little did Bill, you know at the time there was this jerk at SI who would wound up working with you and force you to come on his podcast. Well, that jerk uh, who worked at SI was a very well-known sports writer at the time and probably. Uh, oh, so you were talking that we you're talking smack about me, too. That's, yeah. That's no, cool. no. We were just saying, I, I, like, you know, I know how it goes. We knew exactly who you were, bud. <laughs> I, I, remember, I remember when you know I was the asshole that used too. to come to Columbus, Ohio and get all the one on ones that we couldn't get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh i used to get so mad about, when i was a beat writer i used yeah. to get so mad about those i i there was one time when Al, uh, when uh, florida played ohio state in arizona for the national title this is the oh six after the oh six season and i'm on the beat for the tampa tribune the florida sports information director was not real slick with the with the you know give the special treatment to the national media kind of thing and so 
basically he took the national folks behind a bus and then gave them Urban Meyer. And I think they might have given them Percy Harvin or somebody else or, or Reggie Nelson or somebody else afterward. Well, the bus pulled away <laughs> as they're talking. And I'm like, screw this. I'm diving in. So I, I throw love- my recorder in and all these people who don't know, they have no idea who I am at this point. This is all the people, you know, we work with now. But these people have no idea who I am at this point. They're like, who's this jerk throwing his tape recorder in here? I'm like, I'm like, you're here. That guy is talking. I cover him. I need to hear what he's saying. You know, it's funny because like I'm still like a quasi national person, I guess now. But I do stories uh, like right now. I'm trying to do a story with an ACC head coach and I just email uh, the SID and they're like, when do you want him? And we'll get you 20 minutes. And it just like, look at you, Mr. Big Shot. No, I just like the thing that it made me think was that like how much better would I have been at my job back then? If I would have gotten that access, not like much, because like I because think it, <laughs> it was it would have been the, great. It was the lack of access that forced you to be creative that got you on the radar. I literally despised every national person that walked into Ohio State. Not Good. because I didn't like them personally. But Use it, like, it. It used to make me so angry. Let it, it like, fuel like, you. It's like I come here every day. I sit in these camps in the middle of the summer when it's 110 degrees outside. You know, we're doing we're going to the job fairs and all this stuff. It's like and then Stuart Mandel shows up and they roll out the red carpet. Stu Mandel shows up and I'm just like this, this freaking guy. Um, (laughs) And it's so funny if I like look back at it, my entire tenure on Ohio State's beat during the Urban Meyer era. How many one on ones did you get, Bill? With Urban? Yeah. I think uh, I, Two, I think. Yeah, I think I would have done three or four times, and one of the one-on-ones was him calling my cell phone angry about a story that I wrote. <laughs> That's usually the best way to get one. Yeah, and then I got writer. a one-on-one. I was like, if you want to set the record straight, we can talk about it right now. And he's like, turn on the recorder. I was like, okay, great. And then I wrote a really good story that nobody else had, and everybody was happy. And it's just like, I mean, I feel like you could just make the rounds, and everybody... It's like the When I covered busy, Florida, but- the, I got a few by accident, or well, not by accident, but just by being the person who kept showing up. Like, yeah. he, mm-hmm. Urban, when he got the job at Florida, that first year, he had to do like 30 Gator Club speeches. He got it written out of his contract very quickly after that first national title. Uh, but <laughs> So he had to go to some of the podunkiest towns oh, yeah. in Florida. And I just drove to almost all of them. That's and all so, we did. So by the end, it was like this shared misery... And he would act. He would talk to me because I'm just the person he sees all the time at that point. So that's that. That's all it was. But I mean, when you're on the beat, you got to do that. You some of it's just straight up out being willing to outlast everyone else. Did you ever go up to those talking engagements in Ashtabula, Ohio, Bill, and Urban would look at the back of the room and he goes, "What's this freaking guy doing here?" Yeah, he's <laughs> like, "Well, surely <laughs> yeah. we can talk to you in June." But, but again. Being a beat writer sometimes is like being in one of those contests where the per- the last person left touching the car wins the car. Yeah, like that is that's being a beat writer. And then you drive away in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I well, I'll give you I'll give you another beat writer story from from when I covered Florida. Dave Curtis, who was a, a beautiful human being, is such a good human being that he was smart enough to get out of the business. But he was the beat writer for the Orlando Sentinel when I was at the Tampa Trib. He wound up working for Sporting News later, but this is uh, spring practice 2007. So they've just won the national title. Tebow's about to ascend to be the starting quarterback. And it was back when Florida still actually let you interview players as they walked from the practice field back to the, to the locker room. And 
Tebow stays for like an hour and a half throwing. So everybody else is gone. The sports information people are like, we're out of here. You know, you can get them if you, if you want to wait. And so me and Dave just sit there and wait. And we walk back with Tim Tebow. And usually, that you know, you just get basically till they get to what's called Gail Limeran Drive now. It used to be called North South when I was in school. And that's it. That's all you get. Tim's like, hey, you guys want to stop and sit? And we're like, yeah, that'll work. Because we know we're not going to get much from him going forward as the starting quarterback. Like, he's going to be very stage managed. But so he's talking about having a class with Joe Kim Noah and just all of the craziness that was his freshman year and what he's expecting as a, as a sophomore. It, it turned into like three good stories for me and Dave just because we were going to sit there and wait. Yeah. I mean, that, that's all it is. Now you're an indoor cat, though. I know. I'm soft. You get, I've, you get I've your, really uh, gone soft. You get your milk brought to you, you in a bowl. You get your milk brought to you in a bowl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you too, Mr. Uh, when do you need him, Mr. Wasserman? No, yeah. Well, I'll tell Just you wait till you show up to the OSU Notre Dave, Dame game. Dave Clawson answers the phone, yeah. and it's somebody. We have, our, uh, we have Mr. Wasserman for you now, Coach Clawson. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you when it's off the air. You'll you'll laugh. And then when I go back to Ohio State, Bill's like, I'm not even sure you can get a credential for that game. So I don't think anything's changed out there. Uh, so we'll see. But Listen, um, Jerry Jerry Emig will roll out the red carpet when you come back. It'll, it'll yeah. be like the conquering hero returning home. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Guys, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. For all of you who stayed through uh, very in-the-weeds beat writer chat, thank you so much. This has been so much fun, and we're going to do more of these. So... Hit us up at Andy underscore Staples, at Ari Wasserman. You're at Bill Landis, right, Bill? Bill Landis 25. Bill Landis, at Bill Landis 25. And if you've got some other ideas for games we should do in this series, by all means, hit us up with them because this is this is so much fun. So we will talk to you, uh, talk to you later.